Welcome to the People and Performance Podcast, offering tips and expert insights into the strategic capabilities, behaviors, and results needed to grow and sustain employee performance. Welcome to another episode of the People and Performance Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Chris Orling, co-host of the podcast and CEO at Fidelo Inc. In just two years, we've experienced more work-life-changing events than we could ever have imagined. Things happening in business today, therefore, have a sharper focus on the human element than in the past. This week, my partner, Bill Bannum, is joined by Jim Link, the new CHRO at SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management. Listen as Jim explains why HR leaders today are in a much better position to shape the future successes of their business than ever before. Listen to as Jim offers his take on effective management practices, as well as on a range of key issues facing HR professionals in the 2020s. I hope you enjoy this conversation Bill had with Jim. Jim, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the People and Performance podcast today. Hey, Bill. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Jim, let's get straight into it. You, you've, you've led HR organizations of varying scopes and sizes. How would you describe your approach to managing HR? Well, human resources obviously is a, an essential component of the effective management of any business. And I start by learning the business in which I uh, am working. And I also believe it's a fantastic opportunity for HR leaders across functions to also learn the business. So I begin uh, by focusing on whatever is important to the business and then building out the human capital strategies to support those, those outcomes that are desired. For example, if you're trying to grow a business from a profitability perspective, it's important to understand having the right people in the right place with the right talent uh, and the right learning and development to be able to accomplish that revenue growth in an organization. So I begin with the end in mind and then reverse engineer the human capital systems that are going to be required uh, to make that business successful. That's That's been my approach for many years. And it's uh, it's worked, and I am going to continue doing that uh, here at Sherm as a chief human resources officer uh, in this great organization. I love that. That's been my approach. It has worked, and therefore I'm going to continue doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Why why mess with something that's working, right? I mean, that's uh, that, that's abs- and of course we tweak that, and, and it's very dependent upon a, a, a what the business is trying to achieve. Um, here at Sherm, we're we're a very uh, membership centric. Uh, principle-based organization. And so ensuring we have that correct alignment with the with the talent that's working in human resources and every other function in the company is, is tantamount to our current and our future success. Okay. So so why why Sherm then, Jim? Why, why take on the role of CHRO at Sherm? I, mean, I know that you've been involved with the organization for a number of years, but why take on that role? And what are some of the unique challenges and opportunities in this new position? Well, I, I feel that being the chief human resources officer of the largest um, human resources association in the world with 315,000 members is obviously the most desirable place a human resources professional can possibly land himself or herself. So I'm privileged to be here, and I am very much tied to the goals and objectives that SHRM has uh, as an organization, which which is to uh, build better workplaces uh, and better work for uh, individuals around the world. 
we provide our members with the tools, the capability, the knowledge, and the research to do just that. And my role is certainly to, to have a, a best-in-class human resources organization here at SHRM so we can role model uh, and reflect uh, to our members the how a proper human resources function uh, should operate within the greater construct of a business. And I can't think of a higher calling or a more purposeful career destination for me. And I am super pleased to be here and excited to continue on this journey with SHRM as we, as we grow uh, and um, continue on our own pathway. Wonderful. Thank you. Now, Jim, I've been a commentator in the HR space for many, many years since before I was gray. Um, but I've noticed over the last couple of years, particularly, people have been saying to me, well, Bill, you really are at the intersection of what's going on at the moment in terms of making a difference to, to, to companies. And uh, and that's because the role of the, the HR professional is, is diversified, but it's so important right now, particularly in the context of the of the uh, the great resignation and this huge war for talent that we're all experiencing. In fact, it, in just two years, we've experienced more work life changing events than we could have ever imagined. And things happening in business today have a sharper focus on the human element than in the past. What, why do you think uh, HR leaders today are in a better position to shape the future success of their business than perhaps before? It's a convergence of so many things that are happening in our world and in our economies uh, and just generally in our environment. So when you think about uh, the pandemic, for example, you think about the labor shortage, which was in existence even before uh, the pandemic. And most importantly, you think about the idea that we have moved flexibility and agility forward 20 years in the last two years, uh, all comes together uh, as a crucial and critical time for the effective identification of and deployment of human capital to help businesses achieve their goals. So when you think about that confluence of all those events, uh, the human capital agenda, as you so accurately stated in your question, is absolutely at the forefront of everything that businesses are, are focusing on at the moment to achieve success. When if you take any one of those things alone, they would have been changing in, in massive ways for the human resources function. But together, they have identified human capital management and human capital strategy as arguably the most important component of any successful business right now. So you're right. It is it's not one thing. It's it's many things which uh, have have come together at roughly the same point in our history. And we're clearly seeing an evolution that has been sped up to be almost a revolution now in the way human capital is observed and viewed and valued uh, by businesses and entities um, around the world. I don't see that changing. I actually see it escalating. Uh, and becoming even uh, more important uh, in the foreseeable future. Perfect. Thank you very much. Now that Sherm launched an IE&D council back in 2020, uh, you, you are the Inclusion, Equity and Diversity Council's executive sponsor, Jim. What, what is Sherm's Inclusion, Equity and Diversity Council and what are its functions? The council has a central purpose, and that central purpose is to ensure that here at Sherm we have an inclusive culture of belonging. And we constantly utilize the council to test ourselves against those principles of inclusion and belonging. 
to ensure we are representing what true belonging looks like in an organization and that we can then reflect that uh, to our members and most importantly to our own SHRM employees. So we use a variety of tools uh, to do that. Uh, we meet regularly. We bring in best practices and best ideas. We have a lot of research that backs up the idea of belonging in the workforce and inclusion and what that actually looks like. And the best part about all of this is it's built from within. It is a grassroots uh, effort where employees who are interested in ensuring that we can bring our identities as we are to work and be successful and valued and appreciated um, are, are part of that group and have raised it to the level now where that um, we we're accomplishing holding ourselves accountable to a higher standard of belonging and inclusion. We are excited about this work. There's so much we've done, but so much more that we need to do here. And we are finding ourselves in a situation where we can talk to other employers about their inclusion and belonging efforts, what's working and what's not working, and share some of our own knowledge uh, and value in the space uh, for those individuals who are trying to do exactly what we're trying to do here at Charm. Listeners, myself, along with the co-host of the People of Performance podcast, Chris Bjorling, we will be, I'm very happy to say, covering the Sherm Conference and Expo uh, June 12th to June 15th in person down in beautiful New Orleans. Um, sorry, that's my terrible British accent trying to pronounce that. And you're going to be moderating a session at the Conference and Expo, Jim, where you'll be asking council members a number of questions on IEMD. Uh, the session, I think, is called The Road to Inclusion, a Highway or an Intersection. Can you maybe talk to our listeners a, a little bit about the session um, and what are some of the hoped for learning outcomes? Yeah, we're really going to focus this particular session on identity. And identity is becoming more and more important as you think about how organizations allow individuals to bring their whole selves to work, to be productive, to be successful while they are their whole selves uh, at uh, their place of employment. So we'll specifically be talking about how you foster inclusion so that those individuals are accepted, embraced, and have the ability to share who they are and what they can bring uh, to an organization. We'll talk a lot about empathy because there is a significant and important connection between empathy, inclusion, and belonging in a workplace. We'll talk about how our own organization, SHRM, is, is striving to build a more empathetic culture by promoting and encouraging and having open conversations and dialogue about self-identification. And we'll stress the fact that it sounds very easy to talk about bringing your identity to work. But for some individuals, it may not be as simple as you might think and how you can best do that. And we also will introduce the idea that Bringing your whole self to work means that some cultures in some organizations out there probably need to change to actually encourage that and permit that to happen in the right way. And we'll be providing some of our own insight on what we've seen organizations do to accomplish that. That sounds awesome. I can't wait to, 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 to check out the session myself. Okay, so... Talent shortages. Let's talk a little bit about talent shortages now, Jim. Uh, they're, they're pretty rampant across most industries, as we know. Uh, there, are, there are more job vacancies than people right now. What are, the, what are the causes for this? 
Yeah, many of the same things we uh, just talked about. We saw a, a particularly significant gap in the labor market prior to the pandemic. And that was particularly focused on science, technology, engineering, math, STEM uh, type of, of roles, only grown more significant uh, and broader and deeper uh, in the, our current labor market post-COVID, uh, hopefully post-COVID uh, in the endemic phase. However, we're also seeing a shortage in other areas as well. Uh, people who what I call are what I call proximity workers. These are individuals who have to be close to something in order to actually perform their duties. So those proximity workers would be people who work in manufacturing plants or drive a vehicle or, or are on a piece of farm equipment or a tow motor uh, in an organization. So those proximity workers are also in incredibly short supply. Uh, at the moment. I don't know of one manufacturing or logistics organization that is currently not uh, working or looking for uh, individuals to work in their locations. So your question is, what's driving that? It's a variety of things. And a lot of it comes down to uh, what I call upskilling, new skilling and reskilling. And as a work society, we have always thought that there's this mass distinction between those people who choose to engage in a vocational uh, career uh, or those who go to college. And that gap uh, no longer uh, is as well-defined and as bright as it used to be simply because there are not enough workers in either of those categories. If that's the case, that simply means that we have to think about upskilling, new skilling, and reskilling in ways we've not thought about it before. For example, I'm familiar with one organization who took a very complex project or idea that used to require one individual to see that process through from beginning to end. So that required a certain skill set, a long training period, uh, a, a period of, of something similar to a residency uh, in order to be able to complete that uh, certification that they were trying to fulfill the entire pieces of that job. What that organization realized is that they could take that process, break it down into very smaller digestible chunks, and then certify different individuals in each one of those steps. And instead of having one individual, which was very hard to find to accomplish this very difficult task, instead they certified numerous individuals in various components of that broader task to accomplish the goal. It's that kind of thinking that we're going to have to deploy. We also need to uh, talk with uh, our uh, leaders in uh, academic environments, in learning and development environments, uh, and in government to help us determine what skills are going to be required for the future and then build programming and activities and, and certificates or completions of our badges. I'm not quite sure what that might look like, but we have to think about skilling in new ways. And I know there are a lot of really smart people out there today working on that, but we have to move quickly because this gap is only getting broader and it's going to become more pronounced in the next three to five years than it is even today. So your last answer there is mainly focused on the retention of employees through methods such as uh, upskilling and reskilling. Uh, but let, let's take a, a step back in the employee lifecycle, if, if you will, and, and focus a little bit on uh, recruitment efforts and attraction efforts. What do you think organizations can do to improve recruitment efforts today? And do you think that talent acquisition strategies are evolving effectively to address the issue of employees leaving organizations en masse? 
I'll answer the last question first about the speed at which those talent acquisition functions are evolving. The answer is yes, they're evolving, but they need to be evolving much more quickly uh, than, than they are today. When you look back at those talent acquisition functions and what they've done over the last five to 10 years, they've certainly uh, employed the use of technology, artificial intelligence, and other things in being able to, to, to reach the candidate audience. But to the first part of your question, that's only half the battle. In employees now, because of shortage and because of the digitization of everything and the availability of knowledge and information out there, can certainly know more about you as an employer than you may possibly know about them as a candidate to come into your, your organization. So this begins in my mind with employers establishing a reason for employees to want to come to work in their organizations. Employers must be known for something and that known for something that each organization should have immediately available and visible on their websites, in their uh, public pronouncements, in, in the advertising that they might do, et cetera, is part of the employer brand. And that employer brand today looks differently than it did a few years ago. We know that employees, candidates, to come to work in these organizations are attracted for a variety of reasons. But we know that employees stay in organizations because they identify with something that is tied to that organization. So a part of their identity and what is important to them is reflected either in the work of or the values of or the principles of the organizations in which they might choose to go to work. That is, in my view, the most overlooked component of being able to attract candidates into your organization and most importantly, keep them uh, once they are there. So that alignment between the identity and what's important to that individual reflected in the company in which they're going to work is the perfect match. We're going to see more and more in, uh, candidates looking to understand how organizations operate, what they really stand for, what's important, how they lead with empathetic leadership, how they value employees once they come into the organization. And when all of that gets aligned, you will be able to attract an employee into your organization and you'll be able to keep them once they are there. Excellent. Jim, you're not going to believe this, but we are already coming towards the end of this interview, sir. Before we do wrap up, two more questions for you for today. And my next question is, is one that we ask of all of our guests. And your answer could be terribly long or it could just be one word, perhaps. Who knows? Um, and it is as follows. From a culture and people processes perspective, what does a high performing company mean to you? It is a company that is identified by its leadership team. And specifically, that leadership team has to be purposeful, clear, visible, empathetic, and they must be all involved as a cohesive unit in building collaboration and cooperation across the employee workforce to accomplish the goals of that organization. That, that is what it looks like to me. Love it. Okay. And just finally for today, Jim, how can, how can our listeners 
connect with you. So uh, perhaps that's through LinkedIn. Maybe you want to share your email address. Maybe you're all over Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, who knows? And also, how can they learn more about all the cool things happening over at Sherm? Great question. So feel free to reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn. I accept uh, almost every invite that comes in uh, because I want to connect and, and build that network. It's very important uh, to do so. I'm also at JimLinkHR on Twitter. So feel free to reach out to me there as well. Sherm, Sherm.org is the absolute best place to go for research, content, information, anything related to the human resources and human capital space. Uh, you'll find it there. Uh, we are a membership organization, and so we do uh, request that you uh, become a member of our organization, and that opens all kinds of exciting doors to you to the things I've just described, plus begins to help you build that network that's going to be so important for you and your future success. Excellent. And Jim, I've sent you a LinkedIn request. I can't wait to be connected to you, sir. And also, Chris, my co-host and I, we can't wait to meet you in person in beautiful New Orleans uh, on uh, between June 12th and June 15th uh, for the Sherm Conference and Expo. But that just leaves me to say for today, Jim, thank you very much for being my guest on this episode of the People and Performance Podcast. Thanks, Bill. We'll see you in New Orleans. Thank you for listening to this episode of the People in Performance podcast. Follow us on social media and remember to subscribe.